Well, as we come into Romans chapter 12, starting verse 3, again, we're dealing with the application of the doctrines that we've gone through in the first 11 chapters. When you come in here, he's going to deal with the church on an individual level, an individual Christian's level. And he starts out here to remind us that pride is a sin in us by nature. All of us have a pride problem, I'm sure of it. But we need to be cautioned, we need to be armed against pride. That'll be your biggest destruction in your Christian's life. Because all saints make up one body and that body is in Christ. He addresses the issue very clearly. He's talking about the spiritual body, the body of Christ. We're talking about some are fitted and called to one sort of work, others to another sort of work. Not everybody in the local church has the same gifts that have been given to him. But we must not say that I am nothing, therefore I will sit still and do nothing with the gifts that have been given unto us. We have to realize that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly given us gifts. At your judgment seat, you will be held accountable by a holy God, your creator, for what you did with the gifts that God has given you. Nobody here that's truly born again was void of gifts. The Holy Spirit has given you gifts. And these gifts are vitally important to us that want to be found blameless at the end of our life, to us that want to finish well, to us that who knows how many days we have ahead of us, some maybe a week, a month, a year, 20 years, 30 years, who knows? God knows. And I think with our heart, with all our heart, we want to finish well in our walk with Christ. We know that when death comes, that our soul will be released into all eternity. To us that are found in Christ, we'll be released into Christ. We'll fully see him as he is. To us that are void of Christ, you will die and go to hell. And you'll sit there until the day judgment comes at the final great white throne judgment. But to us that are Christians, we want to edify and we want to be built up in the faith. Because in and of ourselves, we are nothing. The Bible makes that very clear. We must understand that only in the strength of the grace of Christ are we able to live the Christian life in obedience to the Word of God, to actually have a love for Christ, a burning desire to honor and serve Him, because we express our love to Him by our fruit of our life. By the way you live each and every moment of your life, you're expressing your love to the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever our gifts, we want to employ ourselves to humbly and diligently and cheerfully glorify God in everything we do. Not the idea of seeking our own credit or our own profit, but we want it to be to the good of many. We want to honor Christ. We want to show that there's actually people that truly do have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, truly do want to be obedient, and we know by the Holy Spirit that we are able to do and keep the commands that Jesus has given us in the Word of God. So when we come into Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Very interesting verse, especially coming off the first two verses that we went through two weeks ago. And as you go line upon line, much of this is to us that are truly God's children. And these verses that we're dealing with here today are truly only to the church and not to an infidel and unbeliever. These are to us. This is for our edification. This is for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, for us to be found faithful as people that truly love Christ through an obedient walk to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience is everything 
when it comes to fruit of your life. If you and I are going to have fruit in our life, it'll come through obedience to the Word of God. We've talked about it quite often, that obedience is not easy, but obedience is demanded by our Creator, by the one that has birthed us into the kingdom of God, that has adopted us into his family. We've been placed there by the hand of God. So if the whole world turned upside down today, as a child of God, we would be fine. If there was some kind of an exchange, as people are worried about today, of nuclear bombs and things that people seem to be talking about quite often, we will be okay. We will be with Christ. We're not afraid of it. We'll embrace it because we truly understand who Jesus Christ is by the reading, by the comprehension, by the understanding, by the learning of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul here, as he exhorts, that's the one thing he's going to identify very clearly in these verses. As you come into verse 3 here, For I say, this is Paul speaking, through the grace given unto me. Now that word given is pretty amazing. We're talking about divine favor, undeserved favor in our truest sense. Paul speaks of himself that Paul was called to be an apostle and that gave him Paul's spiritual authority. Remember Romans chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Called separated. Verse 2, which he had promised afore by his promise, his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared Christ, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, the third day, verse 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So Paul makes it very clear as one that has spiritual authority that obedience to your calling is vitally important to your health as a Christian. Okay? I mean, when we're talking about a Christian, we're talking about one that truly wants to follow Christ. For I have been crucified unto Christ. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, According to the grace of God, which is given, here's our word given, given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. How does a man build upon it? It is produced by a sincere humility of heart a humbleness before God that he would work in you both to will and do his good pleasure. And so when you look at your verse here again, verse 12, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, because there are a lot of Christians that think very highly of themselves. Many Christians feel that they are very spiritual and very high on the spiritual level of Christianity. I find these to be very foolish in their heart and very self-deceived because the reality of it is all of us can grow in the grace of knowledge because we are all in need of understanding and we all know that that understanding only comes by the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, the one that's working in us, through us, and upon us 
the conformance to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is vitally important. You see that in Romans 8.29. But when you look here, he says, but to think soberly. This is the idea of exercising a sound judgment. We look at our word soberly here. This will lead believers to recognize that in and of themselves they are nothing. Okay? So when you look at a verse like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So when he says here, To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, think soberly. This will yield a fruit of humility. When you look at a verse like John or Third John 1 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diophatus, who loveth to have preeminence among them, receiveth us not. See, if a man puffs himself up to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. When one believes that they are very spiritual and they're at a high level of spirituality, you can rest assured that if they perceive themselves that way, that they are not at a high level of spirituality. Because the reality of it is, let us be the judge one to another who love each other, but not let us boast ourselves about how smart we are, how spiritual we are, how close we walk with the Lord, because you and I know that we do not walk near close enough with Christ. I mean, if you are truly regenerated and you are truly born again and God is working in you with grace and mercy in your life, you will see yourself more wicked than you've ever seen yourself because you're walking closer and closer to the flame of God's holiness. And when you are walking close to God's holiness, you will realize that you have much more sin that you have to contend with than you ever thought you had. And that means that you have a relationship with God because you are learning to hate what God hates and love what God loves, and you see yourself for what you are, a sinner in desperate need of grace and mercy day by day, repenting <laughs> daily for your sin and for the many inconsistencies of our life so we're not walking according to truth. So when we think soberly, we realize that it is God that is working in us both to will and do his good pleasure. It is God that is empowering us by the Holy Spirit to keep the commandments that have been given unto us by an obedient heart and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll want to be obedient, not for the show of men, but to honor God with your life, to give him all that you have, to follow the word of God in every aspect of your life, and to truly glorify him in whatsoever you do, because those are what that's what the Bible says to us. So when you come back here, he says, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according, now look what he says here, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God is the one that has dealt a measure of faith to each and every one of us that is a born-again Christian. That word measure, it means a vessel for receiving or determining. And God is the one that has done this. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I mean, the correct proportion 
of a spiritual gift because we're dealing with the aspect of spiritual gifts here the supernatural endowment and ability the Holy Spirit is the one that gives to each believer we have all been given different gifts we are all told to utilize it within the body of Christ that is the purpose of spiritual gifts not for you to take your spiritual gifts and to hide them but to use them for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ that is the purpose of your life that is what God says and so when you look like a, a verse here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 he says here very clearly but the manifestation of the Spirit that is the Holy Spirit is given to every man to profit with all so when you look here he is the one that is fulfilling the different gifts within the body of Christ we have all been given different gifts we have all been brought and given by God the Holy Spirit separately as he willeth and so when you look at a verse like that we say to God be the glory so when we say according as God has dealt every man a measure of faith we can look at a verse like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 11 but all these worketh one and the selfsame spirit that's the Holy Spirit dividing to every man separately as the Holy Spirit will as he will speaking of the Holy Spirit so when you look here he says for God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith faith is not a saving faith but rather a faithful stewardship in the context of what we're looking at here the kind and quality required to use one's own particular gift to utilize it for the body of Christ every believer receives receives the exact gift that the Holy Spirit has given the resources that he needs to fulfill his role in the body of Christ so when you look here according as God dealt every man a measure of faith every person that is truly born again has been given a gift by God by the Holy Spirit maybe more than one maybe two or three or four we don't know but the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the gifts and the accountability that you have before God at your judgment seat is what you did with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you as a believer no one here can say I'm a born-again believer but God never gave me any gifts that is not true that is not what the Word of God says but there is a judgment how you utilize the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you as he willeth as we see in the scripture there in 1st Corinthians 12 11 but the resources he gives you for your fulfillment of your part in the body of Christ so when you come into verse 4 it says for as we have many members in one body all members have not the same office just as in the natural body God has sovereignly given the body of Christ a very unified diversity a diversity of gifts all of us have been given different gifts to utilize within the body of Christ so when you look at verse 4 it's vitally important to see that for as we have many members of the one body the one body would be Christ the church and all members have not the same office we are not going to be accountable to God for gifts that have not been given to us but the gifts that have been given to you you will be accountable to God for your gifts okay and we have to be very careful when we're talking about spiritual gifts because there are many ways that people especially in Baptist churches that I've known over the years 
that you're supposed to take some spiritual gift test to figure out what gifts have been given to you. I want you to know the folly and the foolishness of that thought. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Let the Holy Spirit instruct you. Let him give you understanding into the gifts that he has given you. Let the body of Christ say, I see the gift of this or that in your life. I see the Holy Spirit working in your life, the confirmation of the body, the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, the confirmation of the Lord Jesus Christ working in you and you being conformed to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you come into verse 5, it ties right into verse 4. So we, talking about the church, he says, being many are one body in Christ. Okay, one body in Christ. And every one members one of another. So when you look at a verse like Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, okay, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, every true born-again Christian walks after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We walk and seek the things of God, not the things of ourselves. We give ourselves away as a living sacrifice, as you've seen in Romans 12. But what do we also find here? He makes it very clear that we've been called into one body. We've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to be utilized within the body of Christ. Whatever them gifts may be, you will give an account at Judgment Day for how you use those gifts. So when you look at a verse like that, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We are here for each other. We are here to build each other up. We are here to pray for each other, to bear each other's burdens, to confess our faults one to another, to be faithful stewards of all that God has given you, because you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all you have has been given to you by God, and you will be held accountable as a faithful steward of what God has given you, whether it be good or bad, the good or the bad done in the body. That's what the Bible says. And so when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, this sentence, or this paragraph, as you would say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, always notice in this paragraph, 14 verses in a row is one sentence in technicality. But when he looks here, he says, Who hath, past tense, blessed us, the church with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he God hath chosen us Christ's body in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love verse 5 having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to his God's good pleasure as the Bible says of his will to the praise of the glory of grace wherein he hath made us the body of Christ accepted in the beloved. And so when he says here in verse 5, back into our text, so we be and many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing. Gifts differing among the members of the body of Christ. We could look at it as a local church. Okay? He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace, here's our word again, that is given to us. I mean, for one to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that is given to us by God. A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. In other words, from God. That's John 3.27. So when you look here in Romans 12.6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given 
throughout. Now, when we talk about grace, we're talking about unmerited, undeserved grace, the gift itself. Again, 1 Corinthians 4 or 12, 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? A specific way in which it is used. Again, in verse 5. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And so when you look here, we're talking about spiritual results. So when you look at a verse like 1 Corinthians 12, 6, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You know, gifts are very important to the body of Christ. How we utilize our gifts are vitally important to the health of your spiritual health. I mean, there are a lot of Christians that are very stagnant in the hour that we find ourselves, that have not been obedient to the Word of God. And they wonder why they feel as if God has walked out of their life or walked away from them. Because many times we grieve the Holy Spirit and we quench Him and we resist Him. We don't want to quench Him. We don't want to resist Him. We want to be obedient to the Word of God, demonstrating our love to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talk about our love to God. We know the Bible says that God has shed the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that has been given unto us in Romans 5 5 and so when you look at the spiritual results here again and there are diversities of operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all these are all sovereignly chosen by the Spirit completely apart from personal merit okay these gifts so when you look at a verse like 1 Corinthians 12 11 but all these speaking of gifts worketh that one and the self-same Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So these gifts are given to us sovereignly by the Holy Spirit, okay? We don't all have the same gifts. And so now when you come into here into Romans 12, you're going to meet some of these gifts that have been given by God for one purpose, to give us an opportunity to glorify Him. And so when he says here again in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, the Greek word means prophecy, speaking forth. It does not necessarily include prediction of the future, like some would say, or any other kind of mystical or supernatural aspects, although some of the prophets in the book of Acts did make predictions of future events. We know that to be true. But others made no predictions, but spoke the truth of God, a proclamation of the truth, to encourage and strengthen believers. I mean, I don't know about you, but we live in an hour today that we need to encourage each other with the Word of God. When we see all the craziness that's going on in the world today, encouragement is vitally important to us that are children of God. We are very discouraged in every aspect whether it be the media, whether it be our government, or whether it be some even within the church, we become very discouraged by them. We must encourage ourselves in the Lord. David talked about that quite often. But to encourage and strengthen their hearers, that is the purpose of the prophecy or the proclamation of the gospel. And when you look at a verse like Romans chapter 15, verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy, Paul speaking, by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. I mean, even Paul needed encouragement 
to keep fighting the fight that laid before him. We also must understand that we have been given a cross, and every one of us have a cross in this life, and we're going to carry it to the end, that when we come face to face with Jesus Christ, we will know that we have carried our cross, we have followed him, and we have been trying all our life to be obedient to the word of God. So when we are obedient to the word of God, we have a burning desire in our heart to love Christ. There are times in our life where we just want to throw our arms around Christ and just collapse into his hands, and there's nothing wrong with that because I believe Christ holds us up each and every day, moment by moment, as we're resting and trusting in him and letting him know you are safety, you are a strong tower, you are a hinds feet. Apart from you, we know we can do nothing at all. So when you look at our verse here, I mean, the evidence here does not suggest in the first century, before the New Testament was complete, that the sign gifts have ceased. Of course, that's another whole topic by itself. But when we look at the Word of God, the Word may have both the revelatory or the revelatory facets of it, but the word prophecy simply, as we look at the gift here, identifies the skill of public proclamation of the Word of God. That is the definition that we want to look at. How do we back that up? First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. But he that prophesieth, that's our word, speaketh unto men to edification, to exhortation, and comfort. See, when we open up the Word of God, we know that we can edify, we know we can exhort, and we know we can comfort. Not of ourselves, but of the Word of God. So when somebody is in dire need, especially a brother or sister in Christ, the Word of God brings comfort to their heart, gives them hope to fight the fight, and gives them hope to lay hold of eternal life, and know that in the end I will forever be with Christ. And my journey in this world is very short-lived, and we know that our day will come, and we will forever be with Christ. You and I that are older, we realize that our years have fleeted by very fast. Okay, our years are gone. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I look at my own life and I realize my years are gone. Them years are gone. So what do I do? I want to finish well. I want to press forward. I want to believe God in his word. I want to trust him with all my heart. And I want to be found a faithful man of God at the end of my life. Not resting in my strength, not resting in what I do, but in what Christ has done for me. It encourages me and strengthens me. So when you look at the word of God here in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, edification, exhortation, comfort. That's what the Word of God does. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if all prophecies, same word here, and there come to you one that believeth not and one unlearned, he is convinced of all that he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. I like the aspect of falling down on his face and worshiping God. The Bible says that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible says that when I preach the word of God, that we are worshiping God together. That is what the word of God is. We are worshiping him in a service. We are worshiping him when we sing songs. We are worshiping him when we pray. Every moment of our life, we are worshiping God, is what it should be. And so when you look at a verse like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's the word of God, okay? 
If any man minister, let him do it as, as with the ability which God hath given. The ability we have to do these gifts, to perform these gifts, as God given. Okay? And so it says that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so again, when you come into your verse here, verse 6, let us prophesy according to proportion of faith. Literally the faith, or the full revealed message, or body of the Christian faith. That's what we're speaking of when we use our word faith here. Jude chapter 1, or Jude 3. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I want to notice the word once delivered. Very important. And so when you look here, the preacher must be careful to preach the same message that the apostles delivered. I have to say that there's nothing new that's going to be said today that has not been said before. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, there's not a new thought, a new doctrine, one that nobody has figured out down through church history because nothing is new today. That is vitally important. That's called exegeting a text. Now, if you're going to add something into that, we call that eisegesis, right? In other words, I'm reading the scripture into what I want it to say. I can also do that, but that is not biblical, okay? That's why you have many cults that have formed themselves out of Bibles and taken a set of verses and made their own cult. Be very careful with that. The Bible makes it very clear that when we speak the truth, we do it in love and we back up the scripture with scripture, okay? If you're going to exegete a text, you're going to go with scripture. You're going to interpret it by scripture. You're not going to interpret it by commentary. You're not going to be interpreting it by quotes of all these different people. You are going to interpret the scripture with the scripture. That's vitally important if you're going to know exactly what the Bible says. We can all pull verses out of places in the Bible that make something say what we want it to say. That is dangerous. That is not of God. There is the Holy Spirit is not involved in that because that is eisegesis, exegetical, of the Word of God is to interpret Scripture by Scripture, which all of you should know. And so when we look here, it could also refer, as it says, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, but could also refer to a believer's personal understanding, his insight into regarding the gospel. That's important. That's why we have a Bible study. That's why we ask questions. That's why we go into the Scripture to get an understanding that's why if somebody says something, it just doesn't quite um, uh, get a hold of you or speak what you thought it said. You say, well, what about this verse or that verse? And so what do you do with that? You go back to the Word of God and you go through that and you search it out diligently like the Bereans to make sure that it is the Word of God. That's why the study yourself, uh, the study the Word of God to show yourself approved unto God that is somebody that is rightly dividing the Word of God, but one that takes very careful time to make sure whatever he or she speaks, it is the Word of God, okay? And not just my opinion. There are many people that have lots of opinions today, but I want to know what did God say, how did he say it, and how do I know it really was God that said it? That's important, okay? That's how you study the Word of God and prove it to be yay, or nay. 
And so when you come back into your verse, our text here today, Romans 12, 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, okay? I mean, it's the same Greek word for deacon or deaconess, okay? That's our word ministry. It refers to those who serve. That's what we're talking about. The gift is very similar to the gift of helps, as you find in 1 Corinthians. But this is a broad application to include every kind of practical help. A verse would be like Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I have shewed you all things that so labored ye ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay? So when you look here, we're talking about practical help. The word ministry, practical help. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And God has set some in the church, notice the word God, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Okay, so when we look here, we realize that it's a broad application, and it must refer to the gift of helps. And so when you look here again in your verse, verse 7, what does he say? He says, of ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth, okay, on teaching. The idea of teaching means to interpret, to clarify, or systemize, okay? So we're talking about explaining God's truth clearly and slowly, okay? Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexander, an elegant man, mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So we're talking about Apollos there, but he was a man well instructed in the word of God. See, that's what I'm saying. When you look at all the different things that are going on out there, you have to know what the Old Testament says. You have to know what the New Testament says. You have to see that back and forth. You have to see the application. And if you know your Bible really well, no matter what somebody will throw at you, you will know whether it be true or a lie. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the understanding and the clarity to know Christ. That's important. And so again, when you look at a verse like 2 or Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says here, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou. Okay, look at the word. Come back into that verse. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, what's he say? The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, that's an important verse. So when you look here, talking about he that teacheth on teaching, right? Pastors supposed to have the gift of teaching, okay? And so when you look at a verse like Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainslayers. Sound doctrine vitally important. Many mature, and as you would say, layman people have this gift of being able to teach others, okay? And so that differs, though, from preaching. 
or prophesying, not in content, but the unique skill of a public proclamation of the gospel. And so again, he that teacheth on teaching. Well, when you come into verse 8 here, the Bible says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. The gift which enables a believer to effectively call others to obey and to follow God's truth. Okay? It may be used negatively to admonish or correct regarding sin. It is our God-given responsibility to call sin what it is and to call it out if need be. So when you look at a verse like 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word... Be instant in season, out of season. What is the purpose of preaching the word? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So we, we were talking about that Thursday night. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. If you stop with reprove, rebuke without exhortation, it's sin. The purpose of reprove and rebuke is exhortation. Okay, the one-two punch has to be followed with exhortation. Okay, that's really important because Paul made it very important to Timothy, who was going to pick up his mantle after his head will be taken from his shoulders. He says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Because there is a lot of long suffering in people that reprove and rebuke and exhort. You will suffer. People will say things. People will slander. People will speak all kinds of things. That's normal. That's just the way it is. That's part of ministry. But the preacher to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine is vitally important. The other part of that is to encourage and to comfort and to strengthen struggling believers. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are days that we need to be strengthened. There are days that we need to be encouraged. There are days that we're trying to find answers and we're having a hard time finding them. We need to be encouraged. We need to be exhorted. So when you look at a verse like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he says. The Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Do you know God in such a way? As a child of God, you should. Because Paul doesn't even leave it there. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 1 who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. And by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I was there once, and God comforted me, and this is how he did it. Thank you for telling me that story. What an encouragement it is for me. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pressing. I'm not going to quit. No child of God is ever born to be a quitter. Okay? We've been given everything that we need to fight the fight. So in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 1, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, for our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. See, in the end, the suffering means nothing, because I will be with Christ. I'll be in glory. Amen. And so when you look here again in one of the verses, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible says, And let us, speaking to the body of Christ, let us consider one another and provoke unto love and to good works. Let us consider one another. Provoke unto love and good works. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of some, 
but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Man, do we see the day approaching. The evil that's in our country for that. The day's approaching. Every true child of God knows that trumps and sound. We anticipate it. We're waiting for it. And I pray some of you won't be found dead in your sins when that trump sounds because there'll be no hope for you at that point. God will put a blindness over your heart. You'll never come to the truth, ever. But when you look here in this verse, coming back into our text here, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. I mean, this denotes a sacrificial giving. We've talked about that. Or giving of one's resources. Okay, we've talked about that. The whole purpose of it, to meet the needs of others. Okay, like we can give out of our abundance, but when we give out of our needs, I believe to God it's much more precious to give from our need and not from our abundance. I think the widow's mite, we talked about that Thursday night, how she gave her whole life's earnings as she threw her last two pence into the plate. But the whole purpose of that was she just knew God would take care of her, and God did. There's a lot more that goes with that. The text is kind of a, a short text to throw in there. But the purpose that I'm saying is the Pharisees gave much more money, but they threw it out of their abundance. They never gave out of their need. So God blessed that widow's two mite much more than all that money the Pharisees would throw in because they were throwing money out of their abundance and not out of their needs. The hypocrisy of the giving. But the body of Christ, what does he say? He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Verse to back this up, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And to this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, giving yourself unto the Lord for the needs of others. Vitally important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Now look what he says here. Rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. That's your job. That's what you do. You work. Okay? You know, we need to get back to the idea you don't work, you don't eat. Okay? That's true. That's the word of God. But what does he say here in this verse? He says, working with his hands the thing which is good, the purpose of it, that he may have to give to him that needeth. See, it isn't about all me and mine. That I have made money that I can give to him that needeth. Because God has given me my labor. God has given me my strength. God has given me my talent to do what I do. And because of that, I will give to him that needeth. And I will not keep it unto myself. God loves a cheerful giver. We see that in the scripture. And so again, he says, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Okay? He that ruleth with diligence. I mean, really, when you look at the word rulers, we're talking about leads. Okay? So literally, it means standing before. That's what that word means, he that ruleth. Okay? Paul calls this a gift of administrations. Okay? This is a man that ruleth. 
Okay? So when he says here, the word here means to guide or to use to steer a person in the right direction or to steer the rudder of a ship in the right direction. But in the New Testament here, this word is used to describe only leadership in the home and the church. Let's see what it says about the home. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all grab his children in subjection unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a man that rules his house well. Okay? Verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how, how shall he take care of the church of God? Okay? Very important. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Here's our word. Ruling their children and their own houses well. That's what the Bible says. That's a standard. That's an accountability for a deacon. The church leaders must exercise the gift, but it's certainly not limited to them. Okay, This gift is not limited only to them. But the purpose of it is, you look here in our verse again, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, Okay, and then he that sheweth mercy. Think about this, he that sheweth mercy. This is one that actively shows sympathy sensitivity to those who are suffering to those that are hurting my goodness if you are condemning of them that have fallen into sin them that are hurting them that are in a situation and you feel as if you're just a little bit better than them you have a wicked heart and you need to repent that's what the bible says but when you look at the word he that sheweth mercy we're talking about sympathy sensitivity have a heart that they may know christ have a heart that they may be restored into that fellowship have a heart because you show it because you like to have mercy from god and you want others to have mercy from god or are you one of those that say i just want mercy from god doesn't matter so-and-so gets mercy from god I'll tell you what, you're in sin, you need to repent. But when you look here, he that sheweth mercy, this is one that has a willingness, has the resources to help lessen their affection. Maybe it's just by talking, maybe it's just by counseling, maybe it's by helping them, giving here, giving there, whatever it may be. You can never outgive God. Okay, how much you give, you'll never outgive God. God gives you your heart to beat. And you know as well as I do, as you will look around today, there are many people that are dying right and left in their 20s and 30s and 40s by heart problems. Whatever that may be the cause, God knows. But what I want you to realize is we're not going to live forever, but what I do want you to realize is that this gift accompanies the gift of exhortation. We are here to build one another up. That is the purpose of your life in the local church, any church. So what does he say? He that sheweth mercy with What's he say? Cheerfulness. I mean, the attitude is crucial to ensure that the gift of mercy becomes a genuine help. Not where you think you want everybody to see what you did for so-and-so. That's a wicked heart. You don't want anybody to know what you did for so-and-so. You just want God to know. That's good enough. That's all that matters to you. That's important. And so when you look here, this is not a, a discouraging aspect at all because we want to help those who suffer and we want to do it 
not so much in public, but more so maybe in private. We have met their needs and let God be glorified. We don't need recognition of men. We don't need people to slap us on the back. We have Christ. That's good enough. Amen. So when you look at a proverb, as we've gone through, going through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14, 21, he that despises his neighbor sinneth. Have you ever been there where so-and-so, something really bad happened to him? You say, about time that happened to him. That's a wicked heart. You need to repent. They deserve to get what they get. That's a wicked heart. You need to repent. So when I look at the word of God here, he that despises his neighbor sinneth. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. The word happy. You like that word? I like it. Proverbs 14.31. He that oppresses the poor, reproacheth his maker. The poor will always be among us. So you look at them as little lower class citizens, you got a wicked heart, you need to repent. It's a wicked heart. You need to repent. Never look at the poor that way. Never look at the poor that way. Okay? So when you look at a verse like this, he that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Oh, but they have consequences. That's just the way they are. That's just what's happening because of what they did. Let God be the judge but you have mercy on him. Because I don't know about you, but I want mercy. <laughs> but God, do. I want that mercy. And if you're going to get that mercy, then you need to show mercy to others. Okay? And so when you look at a verse in closing, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, what did Christ, this is Christ speaking. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the Holy Spirit, without measure. This is Jesus speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Preach the gospel to the poor. You think Jesus went and preached the gospel to the poor? Oh, yeah. He preached nothing but poor, miserable sinners. Amen? And even the poor said the poor. And Jesus said, don't worry, the poor will always be with you. Because that's the way God created it to be. You know, we always say, oh, we're so poor. We don't have much. Oh, child of God. You live in this country, you're richer than 90% of the world. I don't care how much you have or how much you don't have. You're rich. It's materialism. Don't ever forget it. You're blessed. But don't ever hoard it. Give it away. Trust God. He'll bless you. But what did Christ say? Back to scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember, he's quoting out of Isaiah here. He's quoting what the prophet said of him. I love this because at the end of these two verses that he quotes here, he closes the book and he says, this has been fulfilled in your ears. <laughs> Whoa, that's been enough to make you fall over, right? Let's get back to the context. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, or we could use the word crushed, hurting people to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's why he came. That's why we have come. That's why we are saved. We are to do the same and meet the needs of hurting people that are all around us. There are people that are hurting that would never tell you. You'd never know. They'd never tell you with their mouth. But you could watch and learn and listen and know 
without saying a word. The Holy Spirit may so move upon you to say, you need to help them. You need to help them. And I pray that you will say, yea, Lord, I will, for your glory. Not a man will know, but you will know. And that's how we honor God. We glorify him with the gifts that he has given to us.